Well, in the summer after Julie and I were first married, we began, you know, making plans for how we were going to engage here in our church community as a married couple, right? Well, since we were, you know, we were young, we just married, we decided, you know, our first plan is we'll just join somebody else's small group and then we'll kind of learn kind of how do we do all this stuff in the context of marriage? You know, we made our plans, we thought we had it all figured out, but then they got disrupted, you know, uh, the church decides it's going to do a small group campaign, and they begin to recruit people like, hey, we just need you to lead a small group for eight weeks. That's all right. Just during this season, if you can just do it for eight weeks. And first, we're like, no, we're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to admit we have a plan. We're not going to do that. But after a few more conversations and some, and, some, and some strong asks, we said, reluctantly, we said, okay, we can do it just for these eight weeks. But then we're getting back to our plan. We'll just deal with this little interruption, and then we're going to get back on tra track with getting into somebody else's group. It'll be easy. That'll be great. And Julie shared a little bit last week about the struggles of getting that first group started, like the one person who showed up for that first time. But eventually, you know, we were able to gather a few people who are willing to stay committed and come uh, to that group. And so we're like, okay, well, this is going to work, and we're going to get through these eight weeks. So we made it through that first interruptions to our plan, but it was just a, a temporary interruption, Right. Well, you know, as we get to the end of that eight-week group, you know, there's a, there's a Sunday over here at church, and uh, a guy that I had never actually met, he comes up and he introduces himself to me, and the first question he, or first statement he says is, hey, I hear you have a truck. Okay, if you've ever owned a truck, you own a truck right now, I think you can probably guess the next question uh, that, that's going to be asked in this moment, and I knew what was coming next, right? Hey, we're moving and I was wondering if you could help us. I've literally just met this guy three seconds ago, and he's already asking him, like, there's a lot that's going through my head in this moment. Like, first of all, who told you I have a truck? Who are you? And can I, can I you know, have a little white lie and just, no, I, you must be mistaken, I drive a Civic. It's not gonna fit anything, it's gonna be. Those are the things going through my head, because I know that this interruption, it comes with a cost, right? It's gonna, it's gonna cost time. It's gonna cost us to change our plans. It's gonna cost physical labor. You know, it doesn't, it never just comes with just the truck. It's always like, hey, and you, and you come and help me and, and get that out. The Holy Spirit spoke. I was like, okay, God, I, yes, I, I do have a truck. Yes, I can come and help you. Okay. And little did I know that that, that little interruption, that yes, would, would change and have a huge impact on the trajectory of our lives. Because not only did I help this couple move from a, their apartment into a house here in town, they actually convinced Julie and I to keep that small group going beyond just those eight weeks because they were looking for a small group and they wanted to join ours. I said, hey, we'll do it with you. And, and they actually became our co-leaders in that small group. And we actually did group with them for years. They become some of our best friends during that season as he finished his, his graduate program here at the U of I. It completely changed our lives. And as Julie mentioned, leading that group, we didn't just do it for a few years. We led groups for more than a decade. And, it, and it's a big reason why we're here today leading the church. It's, what, it's one of the ways God really taught and trained us. And now, this is a story of interruption that actually made a, a, a huge impact. It was a good impact on our lives. But we don't often think about interruptions as a good thing, right? See, an interruption is something that causes us to stop or have to break from the, from the plans that we have, from the direction that we're trying to go. And sometimes that's a short time, and sometimes it's a long-term thing that happens just like it just happened to Julie and I. And I can tell you that decision to lead a small group, it came with hundreds of interruptions to our life as we intertwined who we were with the lives of other people. And some of those, 
Some of those were really great interruptions and some great memories and friends we still have to this day. And some, they were really hard interruptions and lessons that we had to learn along the way because interruptions can be hard. They can come with anxiety and loss and grief, both for ourselves and for other people too. You know, we've all lived through some painful interruptions over the last few years. Now, many of us, right, we actually, maybe we feel like we're just living a life of constant interruption. You know, our phones are constantly interrupting us, circumstances are interrupting us, uh, unexpected, you know, circumstances and, and all the things that we can't control just are constantly bombarding us, right? I have a father of four kids. I sometimes wonder if their interruptions aren't the schedule and my attempts at a schedule are actually just the interruptions into that, right? Anybody else feel that way? Any other, any other parents in that? I, I get it. Well, why are we talking about interruption? See, when we, when we look at the story of the Bible, we actually see stories of interruption. See, it was sin that interrupted God's plan for humanity. And so God had to step in and we see him interrupting the lives of, of people like Abraham, which leads to his chosen people, Israel. And the story of Israel is just one of, of constant interruptions and a cycle of, of repentance and disobedience and then repentance and over again as, there, as those are interrupted. And then finally, we get to the story of Jesus as he comes in, and, and Jesus actually, his life interrupts the story of sin that was trying to be written for our world, right? His life, his death, his resurrection, it's still being felt. That interruption is still being felt all across the world. So what does interruption mean for me? What do I do with those annoying interruptions? Those are good questions. And in this series, Impact, we've, we've covered a lot of the ways and unpacking ways that God is, wants to partner with us. We've talked about the power of place, we've talked about stories, we've talked about the power of invitation, and today we're going to continue this series as we explore the power of interruption. See, when we say yes to Christ, we're, we're saying yes to a life that's full of interruptions. And, and I promise this can actually be a good thing, this can be good news. Because when we're empowered by Jesus through the Holy Spirit, we're equipped to turn a life full of interruptions into a life full of opportunities. See, the power of interruption doesn't mean that it's interruption that has the power. What it means, it's actually it's the Holy Spirit's power in us that gives us the power to redeem interruption into opportunity. Let's interrupt the sermon today and let's start with some prayer, okay? So Father, I thank you that you're here. And I thank you that you've interrupted our lives. You've intersected us. You've connected with us, God. And we pray that you would come, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today. Thank you for your presence in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I wanna be clear about something as we step into this topic. I'm not saying every interruption has to be allowed in our lives and, and we never have control of our schedule. Sometimes we, we do need that, it's necessary. Sometimes it's actually the Holy Spirit who's helping us to discern when an interruption is just a distraction and he's helping us to refocus and to get back on task, to get back on mission, right? That's the Holy Spirit helping us out, keeping us focused. But no, no matter what the interruption is, one thing that's necessary is a, an awareness and a relationship with Holy Spirit that is listening for when those interruptions are really God stops. See, sometimes God's, God's interrupting our life. He's stopping what's happening so that we can have a moment to partner with him, to extend his love, to extend his kingdom, to extend his encouragement, to empower others, even sometimes those distractions that aren't from God, because we all deal with distractions. Like we have a real enemy and he wants to distract us too. But see, God's given us an answer to that in the Holy Spirit, right? He gives us the power to redeem those interruptions when we are partnered with his Holy Spirit. 
Now, regardless of where they're, they're coming from, it can, it can still be hard to think of interruptions as opportunities for kingdom impact. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Interruption means change. Change can be hard. They can be, interruption can be time-consuming. Interruptions can cause us to have to change directions that we're, the direction that we're planning to go to, right? And those sound pretty negative, right? And maybe you've already made up your mind. You're like, I don't know. I don't want to hear about interruptions. Interruptions are always feel like they're, they're a negative thing. I, I understand, but stick with me as we explore this. See, let's look at those problems I just mentioned, right? The three, the, those three things, it's, it, interruptions are problems in change and their time and their direction, right? Those are the ways that it can, it can affect us. Now, if the problem is we're often asking and praying to God, hey, God, I want to change. So why are we surprised when he interrupts us with that change? Sometimes we're, we're asking him, hey, Help me find ways to spend my time differently than what I'm doing right now. Sometimes we're asking God to take our lives in a different direction. See, all of that requires an interruption to what we're doing right now. And when we look at it this way, it changes our perspective because nothing ever changes and we never spend our time differently and we never change the direction that we're going. What we're not doing is giving God authority and control in our lives. He doesn't have the opportunity to take us where he wants Interruption's hard because it's something we don't control, and control is something that is really important to most of us. I mean, I know none of us are a control freak, but you can probably all think of somebody in your life who might be, right? Who might think that important control is an important thing. See, we want our, our, our day, we just want it to fit inside our calendar. We want it to fit inside our budget, right? We want control. It's one of the most important aspects of our lives. And when we feel like we're out of control, suddenly we begin to react to things. We can, you know, we make unhealthy choices. And sometimes we lash out at others when we feel like we're out of control. But see, as God followers, we have a different idea of what control looks like because we say that Jesus is Lord. And when we say that, it means he's in charge. So we're putting his priorities first, and we're to respond as he would, even in tough situations. And we can change how we respond, even to the things that may not be from God, if we have that Holy Spirit to empower how we respond to those hard things. So what happens when God injects his purposes into our lives and he disrupts our plans? How do we respond? I want to look at, the, at, a, at a quick verse in, in Proverbs, and Proverbs is, is that wisdom book, right? It's, it's full of lots of wisdom and, and pithy statements. And this is Proverbs 19.21, and it says this, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. He is Lord for a reason. We all have our plans, but they have to first be submitted to Jesus. His purposes need to become our purposes because Jesus wants to partner with us to see his good plans come to fruition and have an impact for the kingdom. Now, this proverb is made evident in a, in a story that we're going to look at today, a story of interruption in the Bible. And this is probably a story that you're familiar with, even if you've just one, heard one extraordinary part of the story. In fact, I'm going to give you a, a little clue. I think we have a visual clue that's going to, that's going to come up here that we're going to be able to see, I hope. And you can probably guess who we're going to talk about as we do that today. So uh, there it comes. So who do you think we're going to talk about today? Yes. Guys, only the best graphics. God, high end. We're going cinema next. And it, it just keeps coming, too. It's amazing. 
All right, well, if, if, you've, if you've heard many Bible stories, you're probably gonna say, oh, we're talking about Jonah and the whale. We're gonna talk about Jonah. You're right. That's who we're gonna talk about. You've probably heard this story. And if you wanna be more correct, it's like Jonah and the really big fish, right? But all the children's books, they put a whale in there. And so that's, that's how people know the story, right? There's lots of children's books and Bibles that highlight this story. And unfortunately, most of them leave out some really important aspects of the story. Now, Jonah, it's a really small book of the Bible. It's like four short chapters, really easy to read. In fact, I encourage you, after we're done uh, today, go back, read, the, read it this week. Read it in, a, in the light of what we're talking about uh, today. Now, I'm not gonna read the whole book today because this is just gonna be story time with Mike, all right? As a good dad, I've learned how to abbreviate a story. This is necessary skills as a dad. So any upcoming dad, necessary skills. Because your kids, they're going to pick the longest chapter of whatever book they want you to read at bedtime. And you're going to have to learn how to get through that quickly, right? You're going to need to learn how to do that shortened, abridged version of that story. So that's what we're going to get today. We're going we're to pick up a couple of the verses in here, and then we're going to abbreviate some of that story so that we can get through it. So let's jump in. First of all, Jonah is not your typical... Bible character. Now, Jonah is considered in, in the prophetic literature, he's considered one of the prophets, but it's not your typical prophetic book because we don't actually read a lot of the words of Jonah. In fact, what we see is, is the story of Jonah, a lot of his actions and his behaviors and attitude when God interrupts him with a command he really doesn't like. So let's look at this first interruption that starts in Jonah chapter one. This is verses one through three. It said, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish and he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Okay, I'll give Jonah a little bit of credit. He did hear from the Lord. He heard the voice, right? This is a necessary uh, and, and good skill for a prophet to have, right? He did hear the Lord. But that's about where it, where it stops here. As soon as he hears where God wants him to go, he nopes right out of there and jumps on a ship. And he doesn't just jump on a ship like I'm, I'm, I'm getting away. He jumps on a ship to Tarshish, which is literally thousands of miles in the opposite direction. So to, to give you perspective, Nineveh is like in modern-day Iraq, and Jonah's taken a vacation in the opposite direction to Spain, like a 1,000 miles away. That's, that's essentially what he's trying to do here. So Jonah is appalled that God would ask him to go to Nineveh. But why? What, what's, what's this strong reaction that he's having? Well, see, Nineveh is the capital city of the arch enemy of, of, the, of the Israelites, of Jonah's people, right? This is the capital city, of, and it's, it's known for being its evil ways, all the terrible things that it does. In fact, in, in other book of the Bible, and, and if you look in the book of Nahum, there's whole chapters just dedicated to how terrible uh, the city of Nineveh is. See, God wants Jonah to take a message basically to his mortal enemies. And so instead, in a futile attempt to get away, he jumps on this ship. See, Jonah... He, he knew something. He didn't want the opportunity. Even though God said, my judgment is coming upon them, he didn't want the opportunity for God's love to come to his enemies. See, he knew God's history of mercy, and he didn't want to give the Ninevites a chance to experience it. See, he wanted to control his obedience, and he also wanted to control who got to experience God's mercy. Now, we might think poorly of Jonah in this, but let's put ourselves in his shoes for a moment. How would we react if God wanted us to go to our enemies? Who is that for you? Somebody on the other side of the political aisle? Somebody on the other side of that abortion debate? 
Maybe it's a, a friend or a family member who's caused you nothing but, but, but misery in that relationship. Who or what brings out that visceral reaction to even having to spend time with them? See, that's Jonah's feeling when God interrupts him with this request, that deep-seated resentment, and it causes him to bolt in the opposite direction. So let's come back to this story, and I'll paraphrase, paraphrase this next, but I won't read all of it. So Jonah gets on this ship, a terrible storm comes, and, and Jonah is, is like, I'm on vacation, I'm headed to Spain. He's already asleep down in the hole of the ship. And so the sailors are freaking out, they're trying to send offerings to their, like the gods that they worship, they're, they're, they're not, they're not, they're not Jewish, they're not worshiping the God of Jonah. And, and they're having all this, this, this freaking out. Finally, they wake up Jonah, and they're like, this is what's happening. But after some discussion, what, what comes out is, is Jonah admits this, well, it's probably my fault. I'm the one that's actually running from God. I have the God of the land and the sea. And he admits all these things as he's trying to run from God. It makes no sense for the prophet of God, who understands who God is, to say, I can run from him, right? You're never going to be able to run away. So the sailors are desperate. Jonah says, you know what? The only answer is, toss me over the side. That's what you're going to have to do. This is the answer. And, and the reality is, what Jonah is saying in that moment is, I would rather die than go to Nineveh and face them. And I actually want to pause for a moment here. This is, this is a serious thing. How many of us listening today, some of you may be saying, hey, I think I'd just rather die than have to face some of the storms of interruption that I'm facing today. If that's what you today, I want you to know there's hope. Jesus never leaves you. He'll never abandon you. And he has a plan and a destiny for your life just like he had for Jonah. I encourage you, come today. At the end of the service, we're gonna have ministry time. Talk to one of our ministry team members. Find one of our pastors. Don't leave here today without the opportunity for hope to interrupt that cycle. We wanna be here for you. And if you're online, same thing. Drop a line. Ask for, ask for somebody, one of our hosts to, to pray for you. We'd love to connect with you. All right, let's come back to this, this Jonah story. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase uh, some of that. First, the sailors, they're like, again, even these sailors, even though they're freaking out, they're like, no, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna murder you in cold blood. We're not gonna do that. Instead, they row harder. They are attempting to get to shore, but finally they give up, realize it's completely futile. And they're like, okay. And lo and behold, these rough and tumble sailors, they actually, they begin to repent to the Lord, like Jonah's God. And, and we're gonna pick up here in Jonah 1, verses 14 through 17 to, to, to see this. It says that this, they, then they, that's the sailors, they cried out to the Lord, Jonah, Jonah's God, oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you've sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And then the sailors, they picked up Jonah, they threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And this is the part we all remember, right? The guy that got tossed over, the fish came, and then you're like, you're in, in our heads, if you, if you read the story in like any of the Bible books, like it's Jonah like making a campfire inside of like a thing. I have no idea what they were trying to teach us as kids. Yeah, it's just go, like, I think it's almost like, oh, I can go camping inside of a, a fish's belly. 
It, it, make, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I don't actually know. I don't actually know how, how God made this work, but this is Jonah's great escape. And God says, nice try. I'm gonna interrupt your escape in this way too. And he miraculously keeps him alive in the fish's belly for three days. Obviously, he's interacting in a, in a miraculous way and there's a supernatural connection to how, how God is keeping him alive in that fish's belly. But I wanna point out something else. Even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion and disobedience, we see God moving in power, causing people to turn to him. See, Jonah's attempted escape becomes an interruption to those sailors, and the sailors have a real moment of repentance. In fact, they have a better response to God's interruption than what the prophet of God has, who knows better, who actually hears from the Lord. But these sailors, they have a reaction that turns towards God. See, sometimes God's at work despite our best efforts to get in the way, even when we know better. Well, as we continue this story, it seems that Jonah finally realizes that running away might be a futile task. You think, Jonah? You think you're inside of a fish. And at this point, he has this moment of surrender with the Lord. Okay, in chapter two, it gets a little better. Like, chapter two is the prayer of Jonah. It's all, it's almost the whole chapter is this prayer that's filled with remorse and repentance and promise and, and this is where we would hope to see this turning point for the hero, or maybe he's the anti-hero of our story. We'll, we'll see. Now let's look at the, at the end of this prayer in Jonah chapter two. We're gonna pick this up. And again, this is the end. Long series of acknowledgments. How great God is, how much Jonah owes him. And this is Jonah two, verses seven through 10. Well, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, finally. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifice to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And this is the Lord's response. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out on the beach. There's some really good translations that say Jonah was vomited out actually upon the beach. So that's just a really good word picture you could carry with you today. Uh, as you think about the grace of the Lord being vomited out upon the sands, it's, it's just a real beautiful moment. I can't believe we don't have any songs about it. <laughs> Couldn't find any psalms, nothing. No, it wasn't, it wasn't there. All right, so Jonah has this moment with God. It appears maybe he's gonna be changing his ways. And immediately after this, as we go into chapter three, we see God saying, hey, go to Nineveh. He asks him again. So after all this drama, all the running away, all the effort to get out, Jonah finds himself headed back to Nineveh anyway. Again, the purposes of the Lord will prevail. See, fighting the Lord on where he wants us to go is never a good idea. Are you fighting with God, interrupting the direction uh, of your life right now? Are you running from the place God's called you to? What's been the result of that? What's the fruit in your life right now as you fight God for, and his purposes for your life? You wanna go fishing? You feel safe on the water? Not after this story, you don't. It's a good thing we live in Illinois. Small bodies of water, little fish. I don't, I don't think any largemouth bass are gonna be doing it, but you never know. God works in supernatural ways. See, after this, this, this whole experience and that prayer, we might ex expect a full chapter, you know, that full, after that full chapter of Jonah's heartful prayer, we're gonna get this great repentance sermon that Jonah's gonna bring to the Ninevites, right? Wow, he, he's gonna bring the heat. You know what we basically get, at least this is what the text tells us, is basically he's like, hey, in 40 days, Nineveh is gonna be overthrown. Repent, that's basically it. The prophet of the Lord, he's bringing the word and he's 
he's giving the appearance, basically, of following what God's asked him to do. He's giving the bare minimum to his effort. Now, the purpose of the Lord will prevail. And against our expectations, and against, I think, Jonah's expectations too, king of Nineveh, he hears what Jonah is saying. And he makes a declaration, everybody's going to repent. And, and, it's, and it's so broad sweeping, he actually is like, even the animals, throw the sackcloth on the donkeys, like we're all going to repent, we are all going to cry for mercy. Like this is, this is a moment in this city. And this was God's response to that. So when God saw, this is Jonah 3, chapter, or verse 10, when God saw what they'd done and how they'd put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Jonah had done it. Despite himself, Jonah had done it and brought repentance to one of the most evil cities in its era. Wow, what an accomplishment. You might think he'd be walking around puffed out a bit. No. Jonah was furious. He was angry. This is exactly what he did not want to happen. These are his enemies. And we're gonna read about this, in, we're not gonna read about this in chapter four. We're actually gonna watch a Bible project video that actually covers this last chapter as we move into the last chapter of Jonah. And it really captures this, this emotional place that Jonah was in after this. And it really gives us some context for the bigger story that's happening in Jonah. So let's watch this, this today. Final chapter brings all the pieces together. Jonah, he's fuming mad and he utters his second prayer. He first tells God why he ran away back in chapter one. It was not because he was afraid, Rather, it was because he knew that God was so merciful. And this is great. Jonah actually quotes God's own description of himself from the book of Exodus, and he throws it back in God's face as an insult. He says he knew that God is compassionate and that you would find some way to forgive these horrible Ninevites. You can just hear the disgust in Jonah's voice. Jonah then cuts off the conversation, and he prays that God would kill him on the spot. He'd rather die than live with the God who forgives his enemies. Fortunate for Jonah, God doesn't comply and simply asks if Jonah's anger is even justified. Jonah ignores the question and he goes outside the city to camp on a nearby hill, waiting to see what might happen. You know, the Ninevites might repent of their repentance and get roasted after all. What happens next is very odd. God provides this viney plant to shade Jonah from the sun, and that makes him quite happy. But then God sends a tiny worm to eat up the plant, and so Jonah loses his shade. And there in the heat of the sun, Jonah asks again that God kill him. So God again asks Jonah if his anger is justified, and Jonah barks back, absolutely just let me die. And those are Jonah's last words in the story. God's final words are what concludes the book. He says that this whole vine incident was an attempt to get through to Jonah, right? Jonah got all concerned and emotional over this vine, which he only enjoyed for a day. And God asked Jonah, you know, aren't humans a bit more valuable than vines? I mean, isn't it okay if God might feel the same kind of emotion and concern for the city of Nineveh that's full of thousands of people who have lost their way and also their cows? And that's how the book ends with God asking Jonah for permission to show mercy to his enemies. And what is Jonah's answer? The story doesn't say, because that's not the point. The point is that the book is trying to mess with you. And God's questions here are actually addressed to you, the reader. Are you okay with the fact that God loves your enemy? And so this book holds a mirror up to the one who reads it. 
In Jonah, we see the worst parts of our own character magnified, which should generate humility and gratitude that God would love his enemies and put up with the Jonah in all of us. And so this strange story actually becomes a message of good news about the wideness of God's mercy that ought to challenge us to the core. And that's the book of Jonah. So it's a little different perspective on the story that we may all have known. What is our response to a God that loves our enemies? How should we feel knowing that God loves even the Jonah in all of us? That he's extended his mercy to us? Because what God is doing is he's speaking to the motivation of Jonah's heart. And he's speaking to the hearts of us as the reader today. See, Jonah was a prophet of God. He was set apart to to hear from the Lord, to, to know the heart of God and share it with the people. But at his core, he didn't want to be interrupted in his plans. He wanted to control where God's heart and love could be experienced and who got to experience it. See, when God interrupts our lives, he's often providing opportunity for our response to reflect Holy Spirit power in the midst of that interruption. See, if we want our lives to have an impact for Jesus, then we have to let his authority come first. See, Jesus is Lord means Jesus is in charge, not Jesus get in line. As Jonah learned, we can learn to be fishers of men or we can be men and fishes. Right? Remember that one. Fishers of men or men and fishes. So how do we do this? How can our response to interruptions become an opportunity for impact in our world today for Jesus. See, when we encounter that love of the Father, when we've been transformed by Jesus, we've given something that the prophet Jonah didn't have. See, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And when we let the Holy Spirit guide our response to life's interruptions, we have opportunity to extend his miraculous power. Let's look at Jesus, right? He's he's the perfect example of how to respond. His life was full of interruptions, interruptions, and his response was always full of grace and love that transformed the world around him, right? See, in, in the, if you read through, through the stories of Jesus, we see this, this life of constantly being interrupted by those, who needed, by those who needed healing, by those who had questions, the religious leaders who had questions, by those who were oppressed by the devil, Often, those weren't on the plan or the place that he was going, but still, he responded differently because he responded from the Father's love. Now, Jesus was on mission. He, he did have a mission and, and one that needed to be accomplished, one of the most, if, if the most important mission that you can possibly imagine, but he recognized his bigger mission included moments of unplanned mercy being exercised even when it interrupted his plans. See, Jesus spent years extending love and grace in, in, into those places, even to those who despised him. He was interruptible because he was submitted in humble obedience to his father. So he lets God's priorities be his priorities. And he, he was capable of taking control. This is Jesus, right? He is fully God. But Jesus knew that he wasn't just an example for us. He was an example as us. And that's important. And that means we're to respond to interruption as Jesus would because we are in union and relationship with him. See, Jesus loved people more than he loved control. And he allowed those interruptions to become opportunities to demonstrate the impact of God's power. 
Those interruptions became part of his mission instead of distractions from it. And sometimes our interruptions, they're big, sometimes they're small. They're almost always inconvenient to our plans, but they can be powerful moments of partnership with the Holy Spirit that can change the lives and hearts around us. Can we set aside our hurts, our hangups, our offenses to be interruptible even with those we don't get along with? You know, what would it look like for our communities to be changed by the impact of kingdom interruptions, right? In our businesses, our schools, our streets, our families. See, Jonah was offended by God's mercy, but Jesus responded by offering God's mercy. Jonah runs and Jesus responds. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' gift that allows us to transform those interruptions into opportunities. And without that gift of the Holy Spirit, we respond from our own hurts and hangups and offenses. Nothing we do in our journey of faith is ever meant to be done apart from the Holy Spirit. Because those interruptions, they will just be distractions until we let the Holy Spirit guide our response. So let's begin to look at those interruptions as opportunities. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to respond instead of react. And just as Jesus showed us, the power, that power allows us to make those interruptions part of our mission and not distractions from it. Because our lives, our communities, and our relationships, they'll be better when we understand the power of interruption. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you. Thank you, God, that you interrupted our lives. I thank you that you interrupted my life. I thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to discern the yeses and the nos that we have to make. And God, I pray that right now you would come, that you'd interrupt any plans that the enemy has to disrupt today, to disrupt the lives of those who are listening today, who are worshiping today. That you begin to bring your breakthrough and your response to those challenges that we're facing today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're gonna move now into a time uh, of worship and ask you just to stand up as the team comes to lead us and then we'll be back up in a little bit for some ministry time here at the end.